It was at this moment that he knew. He bucked up. Welcome. You're listening to Bucked Up with Sam Buck. This is what goes through my guest's head when they listen. Welcome, Matthew Broussard. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I've uh, I've been a fan for a really long time, so it's an honor to talk to you. Thank you very much. I uh, I first saw you on roast battle actually and you are the uh, the person i wanted to win i was never i'm not really a sports person so when roast battle came on i was like oh my god this is like the perfect thing for me I it's like kind of sports someone, someone described it as street fighter but with your friends <laughs> exactly oh yeah that's way too loud for mine so how um so were you, did you get into roasting through comedy or were you always doing roasting separately? Cause I feel like it's kind of a separate art form. It was, um, I kind of stumbled into it. Um, and, uh, I had done one roast battle against Sean Leary, probably in 2014 or 15, just to do it. I was terrible. I didn't do very well. And then in 2015, I was a new face in Montreal. And um, I was asked to compete in this tournament, the Roast Battle Tournament, uh, International Roast Masters Invitational. And uh, I, I didn't, I, I, I just said yes, because I can't say no to the opportunities in comedy. And I, I ended up going all the way to the finals um, by sheer luck. And um, yeah, got like a kind of a, a fast course in it. And uh, yeah, I, I, and then the next time I did it was for Comedy Central. One thing I did do independent of roasts was I did a lot of, uh, of sorry, roast battles. I did roasts, I did character roasts. I did a, at least a couple of those in um, LA where you would go up as like, I think I, I was Batman for one of them. I was Einstein for one of them. I was, who else was I? I was uh, Draco Malfoy. And that was fun because you're not insulting people. You're just insulting characters. And uh, I don't really, I'm not particularly drawn to the fact that it's so mean. I just like the jokes aspect of roast, uh, roasting and roast battling. Well, that's what I liked about you. I remember one of your jokes about the gravitational pull. Like, I remember that still to. Thank you. Just such a smart joke. And you just worded it well. And it was long. And I remember being like, oh, it's like a real joke writing thing because i've i've done a few roasts here and there but it is like you either get too mean or like if it's too wordy you can't really um the audience loses attention and i remember i did it with one of my friends and i hurt his feelings afterwards and i was like oh fuck like i don't think i want to do roasts afterwards well i i've said before but uh if stand-up comedy is basketball roast battling is a game of horse it's it's taking one small element of comedy, which is your joke writing, and there's not that much performance involved, and testing it out one unit at a time. So I really like it for that because I really like writing jokes. Um, I really like individual punchlines and the structure underneath them. So uh, it's 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 more or less just like getting to focus group your your jokes one line at a time. Um, 
and you can play with the tension of them being mean, but some of the best growth jokes I've heard weren't mean at all. Uh, JP McDade had one that was just such a brilliant joke. I watched him roast battle someone who said, um, who said, Stewart has social anxiety, just like we were all talking about before he got here. <laughs> and that's not a joke about Stewart. That's just a great joke. <laughs> That is just a great joke. I love yeah. that so much. Yeah, uh, JP McDade, follow him. He's 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 brilliant. Um, do you do them? Do you do it still? It seems like you like to talk about like the uh, the art of stand up. I know you have a podcast about um, your girlfriend starting uh, starting in stand up. But do you like talking about like the art form? Are you kind of or are you like that's yeah too that's much business. I mean, too much yeah. yeah to a fault i mean i like i like breaking da- breaking it down i i think it's really cool i think the thing i i like most about comedy besides the uh endless validation from strangers it gives me is uh the uh how something that's so seemingly subjective can be so consistent how uh, a set of seven words if you change one intonation one letter stops making people laugh but if you happen to land on those perfect seven words, it makes groups of 20 people, uh, groups of more than 20 English people, uh, speaking people laugh 99% of the time. That's crazy. So there's some science underneath it. There's some logic defining it uh, that we have yet to figure out and no computer can do it. And the best we have at solving it and, and repeating it is a group of people who go to bars every night. Uh, it's crazy. It. Have you been? Yeah. Have you been going back? I know you're you're performing at uh, the Denver Works. Is that where you're? Are you? Next, have you been doing next shows? Next show, yes. I've been performing on New York City, so a lot of park shows, which is um, they're they're challenging in ways that I haven't been challenged in a while. You have to perform more. A lot of the jokes get lost in the in the air. There's a lot more distraction, so it's been making me uh, kind of relearn the fundamentals. Uh, I've been doing rooftop shows, which are fucking cool. Uh, it's just it's just neat, and the. Um, the crowds have been different uh, since things have returned. Uh, way less sensitive, way less uptight. People, I think it might just be the selection process of people choosing to come to comedy shows really want to be there. So they're not exactly uh, uptight or picky. I'm in Massachusetts and Massachusetts is still pretty much closed down, but Rhode Island has opened up and New Hampshire has yeah. opened up. In Rhode Island, it's... It was like kind of like a blue comedy mm-hmm. scene before, but now like it's so funny. Like it's all blue outdoor shows. In woke? No, blue, blue is in, in like oh, like foul language. Like blue comedy. Like yes, okay. Like it's so funny. Like it's like doing the dive bars again that I started with. It's like doing. I I used to. I am from Cape Cod and Cape Cod doesn't really have a comedy scene. So you would have to do like mixed mic dive bars when you were starting and to yes. get attention there is like, you have to, I remember even, but I used to take my shirt off. Like I was with Burt Kreischer, like even before that was a thing just to like get attention at these dive bars sometimes. And it's like, I would never do that now. That would be stealing a bit, but uh, that's how you get <laughs> That's how you get that's attention. That's your objection to it. Yeah, <laughs> that's how you get attention now. Uh, is you have to be kind of like crazier, more theatric. Yeah, I, I started in bar shows in Houston, Texas, and even our clubs had a bar kind of feel. So 
I would say some pretty awful things and not even think twice about it. So I luckily calmed down uh, with what I'm going to say. But yeah, you, you, you got to be the the run of the mill, uh, you know, more, uh, I guess, pedestrian observations. You can't do a joke about chapstick. To exactly. the, you can't get the attention. Yeah, you got to say something harsh about women or something, you know, right out the gate just to, so people look away from the NFL game they're watching on a screen next to the stage. Yeah, they don't, um, they don't turn the, uh, the TVs off ever. <laughs> yeah. I've been noticing yeah, the crowds, uh, they're just, uh, they're excited. They're very excited to be there. The park shows, park shows feel weird, man. It's weird doing a show in daylight. It's such a, in a pretty location. I feel guilty saying anything mean. I feel guilty telling a joke of like, if I can see your face while I say something bad, it doesn't feel good. It feels fun to stand in a dark room and just say something awful and you can hear the attention, you can hear the attention in the room, but then, and then, and then hopefully puncture that attention with something clever or, or, or exactly. not so awful, you know, kind of validate your point in an unexpected way. Uh, but, uh, the, the, Is it gonna the, be weird the, doing weekend shows again? I did Acme a couple of weeks ago and I did Philly. Um, How was that? I don't think so. I've been fun. doing the comedy, really connect, the comedy connection in Rhode Island opened up and I've seen a couple of shows and it seems pretty much like, other than it being not as packed in. Yeah, it's a great they time. make up. It's a great time. Crowds are really into comedy. Um, and uh, yeah, they, it, it feels like there's a smaller turnout, but the, the enthusiasm makes up for it so it feels like doing the same rooms i was doing before and well, a, they, a big thing a big theory i have right now is that for six months we haven't been interacting with people very much we've been watching everyone lie on the internet about what a good person they are so when you go on stage and actually take some more uh transgressive thoughts out um people are uh feel validated and less alone i feel like social media is really isolating people and yeah, it's a, a great escape. The social media thing is a problem. I used to before quarantine, I would run social. I would run social media as like marketing manager for a restaurant. Mm -hmm. And when you're work, when social media is your job, like when you're getting paid to be on social media all the time, you realize like I was watching the social dilemma, and I was like, oh, this is everything I figured out while I was working for it as a job, like. It's just like you're trying to trick people. Like, what can I trick people into like looking at today? What can I trick? And everything's so contentious because you'd say things to people online you would never say to their face. <laughs> I meet people who are so loud online and opinionated and, uh, and bold. And, and then you see them in person, like, oh, hey, what's up? <laughs> Do you deal with that as like a public person? I mean, you have a, a comedy central half hour out that people can see. Uh, you have you're on roast battle. You you have a you know you have a following. Is that how do you deal with the hate well, or how do you how did you deal with that? This thing, if, if I don't read the comments, there is no hate. So, and and I've started to realize that's not like well, everyone's mad about this. I would I did to my girlfriend like well, everyone's upset about the jokes. I mean, she just mean three Twitter comments. That's not real life. Those aren't real people. If someone objects to your joke to your face or sends you a message, you know, I mean, that's one thing, but like, I'm not, I'm trying to discount 
those aren't people to me anymore. Like those like anonymous accounts sending you bullshit and, and, and outs. Yeah. If I don't read Twitter comments, no. And Facebook and Instagram, I don't, I don't get much blowback. So um, when you're in front of a crowd and they can sense that there's some hint of sarcasm or, or to what you're saying, uh, yeah, people respond to stuff really well when you say it to them in person and, and show them that you have an understanding of uh, a range of ideas and, and, and that it's, you know, not black and white. All this stuff, all, yeah. If we, could, if we could have these discussions face-to-face, -face, we'd all be a lot more respectful of each other's opinions. It is, there's people who took this uh, this time, the quarantine, and either went one of two ways. They did, you know, they tried to work on themselves and be better, or they they took the social media route and they just kind of started spiraling in the anger. And you can kind of see that now that things are opening up, you can mm -hmm. kind of see the people who went the uh, the two opposite ways. I uh, yes. I picked up meditating. I do yoga every day. I talk about this a lot on the podcast, so I won't. I won't uh, make them I don't go mind through about it. But I love that. Like I love. I realize that I need to be able to calm myself, and you do that. I'm guessing you do. You make uh, sculptures, and your Hell sculptures yeah, are amazing. There's yes. a new one. They're so cool. The green. Green fingernails or this kind of gold yellow one? I like that gold yellow color, but it's going to have a cool I like face. The gold too. Cool. All right. Gold it is then. Wait, let me grab. Wow. Can I show the newest one I made that's not yeah, online? Of course. Yet? I love okay. this. Yes. Thank so he you. makes these, these sculptures that are, I've been a fan of for a long time. They're so dope. Um, they, uh, they're like fake, they're like Pokemon that haven't been created. And man, mm -hmm. I'm so. Yeah. I'm trying to move a little bit away from Pokemon. I, I definitely oh, I'm be so sorry. By, I don't oh, no, no, it's no, I agree. They are very much. You can definitely see that I'm influenced by Pokemon. I'm I'm still early in this process. This is a newer one I made. That uh, one that's dope. online. I love this that. is my favorite ever because it doesn't yeah, <laughs> well, the first thing I made that doesn't look too much like a Pokemon. And it's also that's kind so of cool. Yeah, nice. aren't those so cool? And then this one I finished recently. Oh, I love Pokemon the Pokemon Age, it's creepy looking, has a mouth between its eyes, and everything's I in love threes. It's you very October. October? Uh, why is it it's October? It's very October. It reminds me of something spooky. Oh, good. Okay. that's I love that. And then, yeah, those, I've been spending, they take, um, the thing about sculpture that um, is very frustrating is, it, did we lose Sam? No, no he's I'm here. here. Okay. I'm here. Um, is uh, they take a long time. So they, these things will take 10, 20 hours to make each of them, which is why I don't do commissions or sell them. Um, but yeah, been, it's, I got really into that. Uh, I mean, I was always into it, but during quarantine, I was not having comedy to do. And I, um, I could have, you know, wrote a script or like worked on my career, but instead I just, yeah, I've been doing math. I've been watching a lot of math videos and reading some math textbooks and learning some subjects I never learned. I've been uh, tutoring a little bit for fun. And um, yeah, those aren't meditation or yoga, which I should also be doing, but- um, No, but those get, <laughs> yeah. those get you into meditative- Those get you into meditative states. It's that thing where it's, you kind of have to have hobbies. You have to have things that aren't furthering yourself in like a career-wise. Like I love bowling for that reason. I go bowling by myself. I have my own ball because it's meditative. Right. And it's not something I will, that you can, 
Um, I mean, I had Monday Punday, which I really uh, got a lot of joy out of, which is my web comic. I would post uh, a drawing every yeah. Monday. I did it for like nine years. So it was in the high 400s and um, had a following. So I built an app that was really cool. But I felt it being commercialized. I felt it being a thing I was doing for other people. And it was, I made a pilot for Comedy Central out of it. We shot it as a TV show and people were waiting for it every week. And I realized I wasn't doing it for me anymore. I was doing it for the people, which is fine. I mean, I do my comedy for other people, but it became part of my work and uh, the passion for it died. And, and sculpture, luckily, no one's paying, well, not luckily, clear, no one's paying me for it um, because it's not a consumable good. But uh, I love keeping it separate. Something like bowling of like, you're not going to, it's like going to become part of your work. You're not going to go pro. Exactly, I, I, yeah, don't, like, I don't think so. Maybe you're really good. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean to assume. Um, no, I'm but not. Having, I'm not having that boundary between professional and, and, and fun. How did you get into it? So art something that I can't do because I don't have the, uh, the attention span for it. So like creating Pokemon is something as a kid, I would not that I know your step, but creating creatures or whatever was something I would aspire to do, but I could never put my mind to actually doing it. Like, how did you get into this? So uh, I do lie a little bit. And the one joke I have about picking, I, I, I started when I was about four or five. My parents bought me clay from the store and said, here, you can make stuff with it. And I, and I did. So I, I clearly had some uh, natural gravitation towards uh, creating things with my hands. I really found the three-dimensional aspect of it really fun. Having something you could pick up and rotate uh, was was just uh, just orders of magnitude more satisfying than drawing something. Um, and I, I think a lot of people's parents buy clay for them. One thing my parents did, though, was they didn't buy me every toy I wanted. Uh, I'm not saying woe was me, but a lot of times I'd want a toy, and they're like, no, that's stupid. It's just, it's just a worthless toy. Your, your attention span, you'll move on in a week. We're not going to just buy you everything you want. So uh, I would, but my, my next door neighbor, Ben, got every toy he wanted. So I would make a sculpture. So my girlfriend's closing the door so she can work. Um, I would make a sculpture of the toy I wanted. So, and then I would see my friend's real version of it. So I, I constantly wanted to make the sculptures as close to the real thing as possible in a, in a competition to have the toy or have the best version of it. So it became, um, I became incentivized to uh, do it well. Did you do it throughout your whole life or did you take a break? Because I mean, you're like, you're good at it. I mean, you probably you. know that, but like you're. You should see the really good sculptors, by the way. You should see what like actual, like professional polymer clay sculptors can do. It's, it's, it's unreal. Um, but you so also I'm, I'm, are I'm a professional. A you're a professional in something else too. You know, you took this out of your your time. Yeah, well, thank you. Um, I, I put enough time into it to to be as as mediocre as I am. But thank you. Uh, I I did it through high school. I mean, I did it less and less from from elementary school through high school. I did it less and less, and in college, I didn't have any clay, so I, I probably made like a handful of things over the course of college. I would like come home and make something for summer break, but maybe five or 10 things over those four years. And then when I got out of college, I had, you know, I was 22, had a job, I was single and uh, kind of just, I think it was Mr. Peppy was a character on Futurama and I really loved it. it and uh, I realized no one had made it yet. And I realized if I, had, if I made it really quickly, 
I would be the first person to make it. I would be its ambassador into three dimensions. So I made it and uh, put it online and I was active on Reddit. So whenever I posted a picture of a sculpture, it would get some upvotes and, you know, uh, spur that dopamine rush. And um, I just started making a bunch of stuff. I had a lot of time, I was lonely. And um, I've been, it's been, I guess, 10 years doing it as an adult and I, I try to improve and, and try to be better with each sculpture and learn new tricks with each new sculpture. And uh, it's just really fun. And now I, I take it a little more seriously. Now I draw the characters before I make them and draw multiple versions. And I used to only make other people's creations only in the past like three years have I tried to make my own characters. Um, do you create backstories and stuff behind them I or don't. do you just have like an I don't. There's a tiny bit in my mind of what inspired it. A lot of times it's a Pokemon type, but I'll just want a character that looks... Usually I want kind of two um, disparate elements of like I want creepy but also cute or I want um, fiery but fairy-like or something like that. So I love those counterbalances of, of styles. Of, I especially love cute and, and weird. You together. talked so, about people trying to monetize or monetizing Monday Punday have people tried to monetize this and you've is that people, something offer, that people try to buy uh yeah well like can I can I commission something and um it it takes a whole lot of uh enthusiasm to start and finish a sculpture um so if I'm not like crazy about the idea of what I want to make I'm probably not going to finish it um and per hour, if I charge $10 per hour, I'd be charging hundreds of dollars for a thing you can hold in your palm that might break upon shipping. That's the other thing, they're, they're fragile. And up close, it might have imperfections. And I don't wanna charge someone for something that's like, not that good, just buy the toy. If it already exists somewhere, just go buy the toy. It's gonna to be way better than what I can make. If you have an original character, I made something for a woman named Jenny. She designed a, um, cause she made me a painting of, uh, of Squirtle, Blastoise and uh, Wartorter war portal and um i wanted to make her a sculpture and i said if you design a pokemon of your own design i'll make it for you and she made a um a dragon poison type ev evolution and oh, that really? was really fun to make yeah knowing knowing it didn't exist out there it's also when it doesn't if it already exists then if i make it and then then you have something to compare it to to note where it's incorrect I mean, you can notice the ears are too big or the legs are too short or something like that. If it's its own thing, it's judged. It says not judged against the the Westminster dog show standards. Do you feel that way with jokes and like putting like putting out a half hour special? Like these jokes are kind of like they're out there and they're in whatever it's worth. Do you feel that way with jokes? Because you said Reddit. Like I see people promoting comedy on Reddit a lot and it's kind of weird to me. It's not something I... I like to keep comedy pure in a way. I am, most of what haunts me with comedy is just being like, is this that original? Like, is this, is someone else doing another version of this? Is that, is this that inventive? So that's always what bugs me with it. And I, I'm slow to write material. So I'm afraid to push stuff out because what if I want to keep doing it? Uh, but when I do like a late night set or something like that, I'll, I'll share it for a video. I'll try to share it on the, the comedy subreddits and, you know, I made it and it's, if, if it's out there, then it's, you know, ready to be retired. And um, 
I think there's some people who haven't heard of me who like my might like might like my stuff. So I'd like to share with them. So I don't I don't mind. I've I've learned to get better about promoting myself. I think there's there's a healthy amount of it you have to do. And I think you're probably put off by people who are are too at ease with promoting themselves. Not at all. No, it's no. I was in the field for that. I just I mean, people who don't like you're, you're a perfect, like you, you are a professional, you, but I mean, people who aren't and try to, I don't know, I guess everybody, I will speak I out not to judge. No, no, no. I it's, it's a really interesting subject of, of you know, you'd, you'd like to think of it as an art form, but then you also seek to monetize it. So it's clearly a commercial right. good as well. And, and you will walk that line. Uh, you do have to plug show dates. You do have to share clips. It, it, it feels gross, but you got to get over it. Unless you want to be a back of the room comic who totally. just kills at his local showcases and never goes on to anything, you you get to be that. But um, it's a projection of, I guess, self hatred. If I'm being, you know what I mean? It's like I oh, yeah. I don't want to pr- promote myself if I'm not ready, even though you can have as many whatever good sets, bad sets, people telling you to post, but it's still like you have to get to that level of yourself of being like, I believe in myself enough to be able to do this. And I guess saying that is like a projection of being like, those people are doing that at least, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, this is a self-help podcast. I'll try to, I'll try to fix myself on here. (laughs) I think it's applicable (laughs) to a lot of things. You, you, you want to be aware of your shortcomings and able to critique yourself. Otherwise you won't improve, but then you also have to have that blind self-love in order to be like, here's, here's a joke I wrote and uh, I'm going to just throw it out there to the wolves. Um, It's my dolphins with that. You're just like, don't be afraid to, to treat it like a job and, and to sell what you're, you're creating. Yeah, you guys have a podcast about her starting um, starting stand up. Is is that gonna? You took a, a little break. Is that going to be coming back? Or are you? Yes, yes. We were we're trying to do an episode today. We were we're very uh, sloppy about uh, putting out regularly, but we try to put out episodes when we have good guests or good topics, uh, and we we have uh, some fun guests lined up and uh, uh, some fun episodes very soon. That's the funny thing. It's like with comedy, I feel that way. But with podcasting, at least a podcast every single week since I've started, which isn't Mm -hmm. much. This is episode 18, I think. And it's not much, but it's like, it's like, you just have to force yourself. And I hate listening to myself talk. So editing clips or listening to the episodes is so, so horrible. But it is that kind of, you said, uh, blind, blind self love the, you just kind of have to do it. I'm great, and then stick your fingers in your ears and go exactly. la 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 la. Exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. You were saying you read. Um, you were reading some math books, learning things you didn't uh, learn in college. And before you were talking about kind of comedy as an art, your mind works in a mathematical way. Is that I kind think of that's fair to say? Is that I like how you down the logical components of things? Yeah. Is that how you work with joke writing? Like, do you try to think of it like an equation, like this plus this is going to, or is it more organic? It's organic in the formation, but um, I do like to look back at jokes and figuring out why they worked and seeing if that helps me figure out future jokes. And I've developed a bit more of an algorithm 
Um, I don't think I do anything that different from how other comedians write jokes. I just like to look at the source code a little bit more. I think you can you can understand the processes that, that streamline writing and writing a joke, but uh, and, and it's it's more just for entertainment's sake. I just like knowing what makes a joke work and and what strategy might help me arrive at a, a punchline faster. Are you a fan of comedy still? Like to going out, uh, do you listen to it or is it more? Yeah. Yeah, I still am. Um, I, I, uh, I think it's super lame when comics don't like comedy. I, think I it's totally just, agree. Yeah. Cool. I really don't like that. I'm, I'm a little picky, but the, the, the longer I've been doing comedy, the more I appreciate what other people do. I think when I was two years in the most prickly and defensive and when I was so much worse than I thought I was, that was when I was the most judgmental. And since then, I just can appreciate what everyone does a little more. Uh, I don't feel competitive. I feel like I've, I'm more in my own lane now, so I'm not threatened by other people. And um, yeah, it's, it's so, there's comedy for everyone. And uh, I just like seeing how different it can be. How'd you find it? What were you, how'd you find it? Um, short story is just a flyer for an open mic. I had the idea in my head for doing it and I was going to you know, do it. And then I saw, I was at a bar and they said open mics on Mondays. So I was like, there's, there's a sign. And, um, did you have anything prepared? It, yeah. I think I, I spent like a week just like, just throwing some jokes down and like running it by friends and they were like, uh-huh, cool. And uh, I, first set was really fun. I think I was just so excited to be up there that the crowd uh, just was just into the enthusiasm, <laughs> not the jokes. How old were you? 23. 23. I, um, I was like a, like a, the reason I loved roast battles, like when I, I was like a loner when I was a kid loser mm -hmm. and i just loved comedy i would just like you know sit and listen to it i got in a hockey accident that's how i got into it but i uh the first time i did it i was eight 17 and i Whoa. used a fake id to get into the comedy store and uh i was on kill tony um and it was funny mike lawrence was the host on that so that was a little kind of another reason i wanted you to win what <laughs> year was win. that um what year was that um so I was going to say, if it was before 2015, Mike was not as nice back then. <laughs> yeah, I think it was before 2015. Yeah, I think it was Mike, 2015. It was right around that time. Mike's always been a funny guy, but he was, he was a little less patient with young comics back then. Now he's a, he's a big old sweetheart. But <laughs> I remember that. I remember him coming up after me and being like, hey, you shouldn't punch down like that. And I was like, I got so scared I didn't do Because <laughs> I did a joke about homeless people. It was the first one I ever wrote. And it was all right. But uh, I didn't do it again until I was 21 is when I started taking it seriously and doing it, mm -hmm. you know, every night. But that was such like a, a horrible first experience. I feel like it. I'm happy I finally got back into it. That's awesome. But and um, then, uh, sorry, I just went off on you, a tangent you, right there. No, I like I like those starting stories. So just one time at 18, and then you were you were too traumatized to come back. Yeah, I did it. Uh, I actually went back to LA again 
when I was 19 and got on Kill Tony again with Steve-O and just bombed so hard that that, and those were the first those two Those were times. your first two sets with Kill Tony. <laughs> my first was uh, the belly room and then the main room of the it's comedy like learning school. how to swim in the middle of the ocean. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And I just stopped doing it for like two, three years. I was like, this is, this is harsh. Yeah, that's why it's, it's hard starting out in comedy. You're so vulnerable. You're so... Yeah. Any little thing, I remember there was this like one little interaction I had that I was, I almost didn't come back after it because uh, it was so early on. I was so raw about it. And uh, yeah, no matter how tough you are, it's, it's just tough. And it was, it's been cool watching my, my girlfriend start. It was a year, year and a half in now. And, and yeah, it was, it was, she, she, she went and being like, oh, it's, it's going to be whatever. It's just, you're just telling jokes how it's, it's not going to bug me that much. I was a professional swimmer. I have a, I have a hard job. And she'd come back from the open mics. She was like, why does that suck so much? Why does that feel so bad? I'm like, I don't know. And then you feel bad that you feel so bad. Well, you have to be a masochist a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. You have to, it's that, it's that amnesia. You have to just forget how much it sucks when it sucks and, and only remember how good it is when it's good. Was Houston a good, that's where you said you started. Was that a good yeah. starting off point, a good place yeah. to start? Yeah, I don't know how things would have gone for me if I had started anywhere else, but it was it was it was great. It was um, it was a big city, but not a huge scene, so there was a lot of stage time, um, and there wasn't um, that much competition to get on really good stages. Uh, it wasn't like Chicago. There wasn't there wasn't like open mics. There was there weren't showcases when I started. There was just open mics, and the crowds there were good enough to do your set for um you didn't have to do that weird back of the room stuff a, a lot of some shows were in bars you could drive out to other you know book shows and then after a year or so we would you know me and a comic or two would go to austin for a weekend to do their showcases because they have showcases and open mics and you would just bring your best material and um austin was a place where you could actually kind of get seen and uh, you know, you get booked, and then there was Dallas. You could there was five clubs in Dallas that you could work. Uh, San Antonio, I never did that, but um, yeah, it was it was a wonderful place to start, and um, really cohesive scene. It wasn't it wasn't that bitter. There were some uh, older comics uh, who were had that kind of a little bit of a bullying mentality to the new comics, not too much, but that uh, you have to be initiated, you have to pay your dues before you can come sit with us kind of vibe. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't mind that. <laughs> well, you're in New York and you said uh, your girlfriend's starting in New York. I bet that's such a different, like I couldn't yeah. imagine starting in like such a big, like Boston's kind of like one of those medium, medium cities. Boston's definitely closer to New York than it is Houston. I, I would imagine in terms of the size and the, the grittiness of the open mic scene and the, the competition for showcase spots. Uh, but yeah, her starting here, but she's learned to get really good really fast. And she's had to, you can't be a hobbyist in New York. You got to just dive in. You got to go up every night. And then there's, you know, pretty quickly you get access to pretty cool shows. You can be performing with your heroes within a year or two. Uh, yeah. Because your friend books the show and books, you know, Sam Morrill, and then you get to do a guest spot on a show with Sam Morrill, so you, you know, watched on YouTube before you even started. Um, so that's been interesting to see. But yeah, there's the, the the wins are fewer and far between. I don't know if I could have started in New York City and just bombed most of those shows. 
Yeah, it's you have to have you must have like a thick skin to do that, and it's good that she you know must have she yeah. must have had thick skin before that. So yeah, you That's um you were talking about how you're writing. You're writing. You kind of have a formula. Do you sit down and write, or do you? Is it more of just like throughout your day you think about bits? The best stuff comes just to you. It just comes into your head, pops in your head from you know living life but then i'll run things by friends and see if i can can i kind of figure out the ideas behind it or you know a tag or punchline um writing sitting down and writing for me is more just looking through my old ideas there's a lot i didn't realize so recently the benefit of just kind of digging back through old ideas because you think you remember stuff you don't i'll see jokes that i don't i don't remember ever having that idea it looks like someone else wrote in my notebook in my handwriting um, so just looking through my set, looking at what jokes I have, planning sets, and that's a, such a simple thing, but my advice is just, don't just go on stage, like, and be like, I'll figure out what to do. Of course, of course, you can just go up there and drone out your act, but plan it out, figure out where to stick in that new joke, figure out what tags you, you wanted to try, try a new order. Um, the more you plan, the more you can improvise. So, uh, that's my writing process right now, just scanning ideas and making sure you write down the ideas when you have them yeah treating it professionally yeah there's a book by Stephen Pressfield called the war of art that talks about just kind of you know taking it professionally in anything when you take it re, uh, when you take it seriously the kind of the universe takes it seriously too not to get into all weird stuff mm-hmm. but it shows it shows people who you know even with your sculptures it shows that you have time and you put time into it. Yeah. Now, when you when you got back on stage, did you when you did a weekend? Was that your first time doing a long set, or had you uh, worked up to that? Had you been doing longer sets before that? Getting back into it, I had some twenties before I did my first headlining weekend, but it had been a little while. Um, it, I had to plan. I had to look at my set list and remember everything, and I certainly some jokes. Over the course of six sets, my um, my jokes came back. I remembered the tags, I remembered the angles, and uh, got back up to speed. Not, it wasn't too ugly. Yeah, it kind of. I felt that way. I mean, I'm I'm not doing headlining sets, but it did feel kind of like riding a bike, where it was kind of like, oh, I, I remember what I'm supposed to do. Did you do theater or anything growing up? No, uh, like no. middle school, I did it, but I never did a play. I did like, uh, no. so you were just you saw the open mic and you were just like all right this is what this is what i'm gonna do yeah um i'd done like a talent show the year before and told some jokes just because i didn't have anything else to do and i I was kind of forced to participate um and uh that was fun i don't think i did well but i just remember being fun and that might have planted that seed that was when i was 22 of like oh performing is fun but uh, talking in front of groups of people always made me nervous in high school if I had to like speak at assembly. And then by the end of high school, I was like, oh, it's kind of fun. It's kind of, it's not like, I'm not nervous. It's exciting to go up there and, and talk in front of people and keep your nerves about you. But no, not much of a performance background. My parents stifled it pretty hard. Uh, they wanted me to, to work on my academics. That was, that was my strength. That was what they told me I was going to make a career out of was, was mathematics ability. There's so many professions that where we can use that. And I, I had training and ability 
and um that was it was it was kind of why i loved comedy so much it was like the ultimate act of rebellion to pursue this thing that you know blocked this room in, in, in the house for all these years and i finally got to open the door and entertain the notion of doing something other than math professionally so when uh when things started to click it felt really good do you look back and think that's such a weird like how one thing can happen and it just kind of changes your life forever like do you yes. think about that that's like a weird i, I think the thing i get thinking about a lot is if you if you if you change some key events in my life what college i went to um what sports i chose what people i met would i be doing comedy on other timelines and my gut says no my gut says i wouldn't have found it it was just kind of through a lot of coincidences that it happened at this place on this night and happened to start uh, and that it went well enough that first night that i kept doing it uh, so this feels like of all of the potential timelines of my life this feels like a very there's only a very a very small fraction of them include me doing comedy so that's trippy to me and i wonder what those other other timelines would look like would i be good at a regular job but I found something else. Like I didn't have music or theater and comedy was the only thing you could start at 23 uh, without being way behind the rest of the class. How about yeah. you? Uh, you seem, you seem pretty dedicated to doing it. So you and I may be different in that regard. You, yeah, that, you tried uh, it's, twice and failed and still came back. I don't think I would have come back. Well, I always liked comedy, but I never thought like I met Jim. Ga I saw Jim Gaffigan on my 10th birthday and met him just weird things like I wasn't even like a f like I was. But then when I was 16, I got in a really bad hockey accident. I got like a level five out of five concussion. I'd only been playing for two months and I had to mm -hmm. lay in a dark room and just listen to podcasts and comedy. I couldn't even listen to music. So all I could do was listen to people talk. So I just mm -hmm. kind of fell in love with comedy and podcasting after that uh after that month of that's all i did i was kind of like okay this is this is my calling but as i said i uh it took me so long to have those steps fall into place it was kind of like the world i was just reading the alchemist have you ever read that book uh he talks about like omens and stuff and it, it, I, a lot of those are like omens that were shown but it took kind of a long time for them to fall into place and start uh working in my favor yeah wow are I, you a uh, spiritual person at all not at all <laughs> I love so it. you think I about you oh sorry what that, were you saying no you go first i, was thinking, I had something similar to you in that uh, another thing that was was occupying my i was i was pretty bad at my job when i was out of college those first couple years in houston uh, i was always distracted that much discipline i wasn't a good employee i was doing triathlon so i swam all of college on the club team I really wanted to get good enough to like walk on uh, a college team or maybe transfer. And I never got there. I just wasn't that talented of a swimmer, uh, despite all of the hard work. And then I started doing triathlon um, right after college. And all of the work I put into swimming had paid off in my running and biking, unbeknownst to me. It felt like I was investing in another account that I didn't know about. So when it came to triathlons, I was basically a natural runner who had worked four years exclusively on the swimming. So I had a, a pretty even set of ability. So I was, I was pretty good. I was one of the, the fastest in Houston. Um, and uh, it was the first sport I was good at. So I, at 22, 23, was just spending 12 to 15 hours a week uh, exercising, running, biking, and swimming really hard. And I got like a sponsorship 
where I could compete for free and I got some free stuff and got free training. And I was, I was really going after, I didn't know what the end game was. I just wanted to do it. It gave me a sense of purpose, but at the same time, it also made me really tired and really sad all of the time because it's so much work and I was so lonely and it isolated me. And then I was just training too hard and I got a foot injury that was, that kind of kept me from running. So that kind of broke my spirit a little bit. And, and that, that kind of coincided with when I started doing stand-up. So basically all that energy I'd funneled into triathlon, I funneled into, uh, to comedy because uh, it was another thing I was seemingly had some natural ability for um, and uh, I was able to just move that valve over without spilling much and uh, I pretty shortly after doing open mic started uh, stopped doing triathlons and also the schedule of the triathlete in, in, in comedy <laughs> just don't work I mean 6 a.m swims I would do 6 a.m swims probably once or twice a week and then I would have to wake up to run before work if I wanted to run and bike in the same day. And it was, or I'd wake up and do an hour. I'd wake up and get on my stationary bike in my apartment and do an hour before work. Just sitting there on a bicycle, biking nowhere by myself, just cranking out the minutes. So you can't you do ran. that and stay out till 1 a.m., you know, waiting for your name to be pulled out of a hat. <laughs> do you run still? Or do you do any exercise still? Um, I've tried to restart running. Um, it's, I'm too big. I'm not, I, I, my body, I didn't take care of my body. So I can, I can run a couple times. I run like once or twice a week and not get too injured, but uh, no, I don't run that hard or that often. Uh, I bike around town. I do different workouts. I really, I still really like exercising, um, but, uh, and I still really like cardio. I like, uh, I like soul cycle, not soul cycle, uh, Peloton a lot. I like circuits. I like weightlifting now. So it's a big part. Of I run. I picked up running and I'm big too. I, I'm six, four. And when I was at my heaviest, I was two sixty, and I was still running three miles a day at two sixty, wow. which is like, yeah, which is Your heavy. Knees. My heavy. knees. So I hurt my calf really bad um, in my knees. And I start. that's when I picked up yoga and mm. I started doing yoga every day and I still run and I'm, I'm down to 220 now. I got, That's I lost great. some weight, but uh, the I just, I like running cause I don't have to compete with anyone and I can block out and I can just kind of like, it's meditative, but it, it, I'm worried about my body and hurting it now. Like I'm putting a lot of weight on my knees. Just don't run too fast or too hard. You can do it at those big, like those higher weights, but I'm 195 now. And I could, when I was 180, I could fly. I think I was 170 in college when I was running. I, I, I ran a little bit in college and I was 170. When I was triathlon, when I was doing triathlons and doing all my like best times in running, I was probably 180 to 185, which was still big compared to the other triathletes. Those guys are like 150 pounds. And even if I was with them on the bike ride, once we got off the bikes, they would just fly. Like there's just nothing to carry. I, yeah, I'm six, six, almost 6'2". Six and it's I can run, but if I go too hard, I can I can just break myself. Yeah, uh, very easily. It's, it's tough. And I picked up I picked up biking over quarantine too because it was nothing. It's funny I uh, I was a very lazy kid, and then when I this is weird, but when I started smoking weed, it made me want to be active. So that's the only reason I ever wanted to run or work out. Like I started lifting because of it. I started running because of it, and it was a really weird thing because it doesn't affect anyone else that way and I don't 
like to talk about it too much because I feel like people will be like, oh, it doesn't, but it, it makes me want to work out. It's a, a strange thing because I'm lazy even when I don't. Interesting. That's really interesting. I um, I weed makes me. I don't have that effect with weed, but I I I can understand that it affects people differently. For me, weed um is euphoric. Like when I smoke weed, I feel like I'm on Molly. I am everything's amazing, and I'm just like giddy with happiness. Uh, but I don't have motivation. And then the next day, I it feels like I'm coming down from Molly. I feel very drained of 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 all those positive feelings and all like I've, I've taken edibles and the next day canceled my plans and stayed home like in a fetal position so it's like a hangover you just have to it's keep a drinking. really bad i get a really bad hangover from from getting too high so and and i that's other people don't relate to that either so i can imagine it giving you motivation it's not that weird yeah it, Dan, all, it affects people differently it's weird how it does though you know dan lamort yeah mm-hmm is he? He's a New York guy, right? He's from New yeah. York originally. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, I know he's here now, but he he loves to get high and run, and he's like training for ultra marathons and lost well over a hundred pounds. So it's he's a crazy. big advocate of active active marijuana use. It's the same reason I could never do uh, sculpting like you. I just I'm too um, hyper. I can't focus. So when I get high and I run it's great because it like slows my mind down. It's like, you're going to do this for the next 40 to 50 minutes. You're, you can't do anything else. Just like you can check your brain off and keep going. I mean, I, I think we're, we're similar in that regard. That's why I, I love running. I started running in middle school. I loved it so much, but then I switched over to swimming. Um, but both I'm, I'm, I'm very ADD and um, it's the pain. I love the pain of endurance sports because it blocks all of your channels it's the pain is a thing that, that that jams your your mind from thinking about other things you're like you're here with this now you can't be elsewhere the pain is just it's just screaming too loud at you so you have to just be focused and in this moment which is why um city bike i've been city biking a lot and my problem for me personally my problem is I'm a little too competitive even with myself so when i run or bike or something like that i can't just take it easy i want to go best times i want to push myself to my limits um, people ask and, to go for bike rides with me and i'm like i don't think you want to because i'm going to be pushing hard like uh, right. people will want to be like never invite me on a bike ride again yeah I'm, I'm that way with a lot of exercise and i city bike now so my goal isn't isn't speed and luckily it, it, it's not about the workout it's about surviving so i'm very it forces you to be in the moment of just which cars are going to kill me? Which which pedestrians are going to step out of the sidewalk? And that's just enough to keep me focused. And sculpture keeps me really focused. But sculpture is also such, it's a visual, um, a visual and then tact, tactile act. So I can also like listen to things while I sculpt. It jams a good portion of my focus up, but it's a very involved thing that I can't walk away from. It's like my video games can be uh, why it's easier to stay focused on a video game than a book. Yeah, because it's it's it occupies so many of your senses. Well, that's why I kind of got I got into audiobooks while I was running, because if I, I'll put on an audiobook while I run and I'll like try to sure. learn to try to like shut my brain off. And it's that thing where it's you just have to you can multitask if you find things that you can just do nat not do naturally, but do without kind of thought when you're just kind of on autopilot. Yeah. So you were a yeah. swimmer. You were a swimmer and you're a comedian now and your girlfriend kind of switched that. And I know that 
is that is that kind of how it works because i i'm a i don't i'm not that's why i like running is because i'm not a competitive person but i don't even like to put that feeling out there of i could get competitive um i'm sorry what's the question Oh, I, I don't even know what, what the question was. Oh. There. I just kind of went off on a tangent. But uh, no, but do you, does it work because you kind of switched places? The competitive competitiveness kind of turns off? Uh, how, I don't think we both, we both went from swimming to comedy. So what do you mean by switch places? Oh. Well, she, yeah, I guess you both did. So is that why it worked? Uh, why it, it works? Because you had both those. I guess I was saying she was, a professional swimmer now she's trying comedy and you were uh, trying I was swimming, an and swimmer. now you're a professional comedian yeah oh we do compare that of, i always like to be like am i as good at comedy as you were at swimming and she's like no <laughs> you're not i was way but uh but it's, may, it's maybe closer now but yeah we both understand being at uh um being pretty high up in a field that's pretty competitive but also uh doesn't pay a lot to many people <laughs> exactly yeah that's, that's kind the, of the one thing is the, yeah the uselessness of the effort most of the effort you put into comedy is pretty worthless like it's uh it's unlikely to pay off for most people yeah. as the spending so it's just like i'm waiting for that euphoric feeling where i can just pay at least one bill with count like when my bills can be paid with that's all i need is like i just want to but you that does, it also doesn't matter i i don't care working at a loss over something I love. Yes. And I think that kind of sculpting right now. (laughs) Yeah, because it's a passion. It's something you love. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what the quarantine has showed me of just being like, look, look for those things in your life that bring you that. Not those little shallow victories, those little social status symbols. Uh, Just what are the things that you can sit in a room by yourself and feel good about that you don't need other people to click like Exactly. Are you going to the sculpting thing? Are you just going to, it's going to be your meditation. You're going to keep going. You're not trying to grow it. I'm just going to keep working at it and do, do it to the extent that it brings me joy. I mean, I do share my shit on Instagram. So maybe, maybe I'm walking down that, that treacherous path towards, uh, towards seeking validation from strangers and trying to monetize it. But um, just, it, it's just fun. <laughs> it's just really, really fun. So yeah, yeah that open mic mentality. Just do totally. it to do it. Yeah. Do it for the love. Man, I really, really appreciate you being on. Do you want to uh, plug anything? Um, I will post your social media and I'll tag you and everything. Yeah, uh, share, my, uh, share my sculpture page, uh, Cockblock Gargoyles. That's what I'm promoting lately. Uh, and uh, if you're, you know, uh, interested in comedy or you do comedy, uh, shoot us stand up too. We have some great guests and it's, um, a lot of advice for comedians, people getting started, how to write a joke, how to, how to promote yourself, all of that. We try to cover it. So that's a good. Listen, if you're in the comedy world. Awesome. Uh, you can follow me at Sam C buck on Instagram or at bucked up podcast. Um, and at Sam C buck, you can see where I'll be performing all over Massachusetts. Um, and make sure to check out Matthew Broussard's stuff. You can check out his uh, Comedy Central half-hour special, which is really funny. Um, you can also watch clips of Roast Battle on YouTube, which I really um, I suggest you all do. Uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we'll check. see you next week. Thanks. Thanks, Sam.